When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is the great Jared Weiss of The Athletic, and we were talking about doing this recording even before the more recent events for the Boston Celtics because of the Robert Williams injury and the Grant Williams extension negotiations. But of course, Ime Oka is also a significant part of this conversation, which is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use that CLNS50 promo code for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Of course, a lot to get to with Jared, and so let's get to it right now. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, wonderful to be here. Somewhere that's actually comfortable and relaxing for a change. (laughs) Yeah, and you and I had I'd said that I wanted to record with you because I was originally the idea was like Robert Williams and Grant Williams, which of course we will discuss both of those. And in the like four days between when we kind of hashed that out and now, there's been some superseding intervening news, and that of course involves Ime Udoka. And partially because it seems like it's really evolving, I don't want to focus as much on the kind of, I guess you could call it the reporting of the issue, more just that he is suspended for the year and what that means for the Boston Celtics. So, I mean, we, we know he's just it for the year, but it doesn't seem likely that he would make it back to this team. It seems like the team is going to have to move forward, assuming he's not going to be their coach again. And that is obviously, regardless of the context of why it's happening, it's devastating for them because they love their coach and they had a great thing going. And this team felt like, I mean, remember, they kept saying we were the more talented team. We just weren't ready the way the Warriors were. So they're very convinced that they're talent, that they have the talent to win the title. And they added Malcolm Brogdon. They added Danilo Gallinari, but now he's gone, at least for the regular season. I assume he's going to be out for most of the playoffs, too. So. They basically they at least added the the one player they needed more than anything. They needed a dynamic guard to bridge that gap in their offense. They got that, and he's good enough that he can pretty much do everything they need and still be good on defense. They were very, there's a reason why they I think I saw somewhere that like they had the highest spread to win the title, like the best odds to win a title that a team has had in the preseason and like in forever basically. Uh, so I, that's probably too strong, but they're clearly a high level championship favorite before all these things fell apart. And so the team was already in a rough place with Gallo going down and then Rob Williams. Uh, it was one thing when it was Rob Williams either the knee cleanup. But then we found out the day that the of the press conference on Friday with where the Adoka scandal was first and foremost, that he's actually out for two to three months and said a month to a month and a half. And it's Rob Williams, so let's presume he's going to be coming back in three months because they rushed him back last time and look what the consequences were. So you already have this fissure with the, the there or before Udoka came in, there was a clear rift in the organization and the players were having a lot of trouble with trust with the organization. And then they were everything was able to be smoothed over pretty well last year with Udoka coming in and Brad taking over the front office. 
And then you get to the offseason and they're trying to go for KD. Guys feel like they're on the trading block again, even though they just had great seasons. You know, Jalen Brown just had a you know near all-star season and was really good in the playoffs. It was their best player in the finals, arguably. Marcus Smart just won Defensive Player of the Year. And then they're hearing their names popping up again in trade rumors. And that's that that's gotta be really frustrating. Where it's like, what more could they do at this point they're feeling to make it that they don't appear in trade rumors anymore, even if it is Kevin Durant. Um, and so that's already a little destabilizing, and Ime could certainly help them move forward from that. But now Ime is gone, and they do have Joe Mazzulla stepping in, and Joe Mazzulla I think will be able to do a lot of what Ime Odoka does well, but Ime was operating from a position of strength, and Joe obviously is just not going to be in this situation. So then when you when you pile on Rob Williams' injury, and Grant Williams is trying to get an extension done, and who knows if that's going to get done, it's like this team doesn't have much certainty at the center position. They don't have certainty in their leadership. And they start, they all of a sudden, a lot of optimism and excitement and the stability that they felt like they were standing on has just been swept up from under them right as they're getting the training camp so quickly. And so I think that they're just. They feel very, they feel very shaky right now. And of course, if they win, then it can stabilize. But if they don't win, and you're in this situation where Ime Odoka hasn't been fired, he's only been suspended. That's where you're going to have a problem of: Are the players going to try to get Udoka back? And like, how on earth could the, the Celtics do that? So the, there's this. That was one of the big consequences of them that not outright firing Udoka is that if the team is struggling and and the players are feeling like, oh, the coach we, the coach that we need is right there just bring him back in you can just undo a suspension at any time which i don't know how suspensions work but i'm pretty sure you can undo a suspension it's not like it's like a legally binding thing i'd imagine um that's going to create a sense that's going to create this big fissure within the organization if that happens yeah it's really interesting and i've been kind of trying trying to draw parallels and the one that i went to immediately and this is a very different situation and part of it is that we're gonna we're gonna have to learn this with information is with for subsequent information is like so in 2015-16, the Golden State Warriors had just won their first NBA championship in the in the first Steve Kerr year. And then Steve Kerr has this really bad back injury, and he's, he's unable to coach for the first half of the year. And it was his staff in place, Luke Walton becomes the interim head coach, and they come out like a house of fire. And they still, they're able to keep everything that they had been doing under Steve Kerr. And we don't know how much his voice was in the room. I, I At least I can't remember it anymore. It's been a little while. And so that's kind of like the best case scenario. The the idea that the table has already been set. It's the same basic roster. And if you think about, like, not only did this team have the differential, I think they had the point differential of, like, a 59-win team last year. But also they were so much better in the second half than they were in the first half. And so if you idea is, you know, like, for whatever reason, that is a more relevant sample here. Then it's like, well, this is a damn good team. They're a young team. And we'll talk about Rob Williams in a bit. But the point that you brought up, which I think is so interesting, that is really different between these two, is one, we don't know whether Udoka's voice is going to be in the room at all, like whether he's going to be providing input to players or to coaches. And, and some of that, I, it seemed like ownership was and Brad Stevens were very vague about that in the presser, at least as far as I could tell, reading the tweets. And the other part of it is the difference between the reason this person isn't there is because they are physically incapable. And the reason that they aren't there is because as you like, and I think this is a really important point, that it is a team discretionary decision. Because you're right, this isn't a league suspension. This is a this is a decision that can be 
challenged by people within the organization. You know what I'm saying? Like, it isn't a binding commitment, as I understand it. You know, I'm thinking about this more as a lawyer. It's like, well, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily want to. It would set a weird precedent. But they're not bound by this. It's not like they set it in stone and now there is under no circumstances. It's just like they could extend it if they found out more information. Yeah. And just quick thing to jump in before you keep going is, you know, the NBA can't change suspensions because they hand them out so often that it really under it like that would damage them at, at an institutional level the celtics don't really ever suspend people especially coaches so if they wanted to fudge around with this it wouldn't really have much of an impact on the stability of the organization so they don't, they're not going to do this they, hopefully they will not have to suspend a coach for the season very often so they can they can kind of mess around with this if the public sentiment go, works into the favor of doing that well and, and that ties in you i'm sure you have a better finger on the pulse of this is so they've been assessing this the organization has been assessing this situation which has been evolving based on what we know over the last few months and what i find interesting i mean you already brought it up is the idea that this is a suspension not a firing though it could be a firing later on is it like if this was preliminary because the investigation was incomplete or had just been started or something like that i would be and and it's entirely possible that more information will be brought to light i would be like okay this is probably a suspension that's just because they're not ready to fire him yet they haven't built up the you know they haven't yeah. built up the argument yet is that your and i and we're not binding you to this or anything like that is that your read is that it's like it's a suspension pending or is it like this is their adjudication of what we know so far or I what this sorry as- what they know so far I see it as there's a couple of ways this this is going. It's and it might all it might all be part of the same conclusion. Is I think one you have that it's easier to fire him later after he served a suspension. You would generally like the point of firing him now is either one to protect the workplace and two to protect the brand's reputation as uh, as it looks to people in the public who are the paying customers who they're they're uh, their support of the team is going to be affected by whether or not they think the team upholds good morals. And then also the people in the company, like there's been, you know, people in the company have been affected by the situation pretty dramatically from the people specifically involved in this situation to others who were harmed in the fallout of the situation as well. So the Celtic statement has a lot to do with just like the in- own internal morale, although they're a large company, I'm sure they're driven more by the outside perspective than the inside perspective since that has has the biggest impact on the bottom line and not to say that that's like that's some sort of nefarious thing i think it's just the reality how business works so that's a big part of it but i think that the one-year suspension it one gives them flexibility to be able to fire him later and it kind of will be able to go a little bit smoother um also they probably won't have it saves them money because they won't have to pay out this year and they can just fire him and just pay out the last year of his deal or hope that he's found another job and they don't even have to pay out anyway at that point if another job is going to cover for him um and then also i think there's just various legal aspects to this as you're saying like one they have to get if they're going to fire him with cause for wrongful you know for uh, for conduct i would imagine that they probably have their foundation at this point if they just concluded a multi-month investigation by a law firm so maybe there's more to it or maybe just more needs to play out between him and the parties affected by his violation and 
like the, and I think maybe that's what it is. Like they just got the law firm report. It got leaked, or at least the the, the thing that was happening got leaked pretty quickly, which forced them to act faster. And so they're st- they wanted to bring some sort of resolution, speak publicly, even if they didn't really reveal anything about the situation, and then continue to figure it out from there. Because they didn't say like we're gonna make a decision when his suspension is up. They said we're gonna make a, a suspension at a later date, which could be just like leaving some sort of plausible flexibility for them, but also might be that they're there's still it's an ongoing effort for them to analyze the situation right and the other big consideration here is you would theoretically fire the coach if you had an alternate vision for the coaching staff and for the kind of philosophy so like it's it, it could be that they want to kind of continue things at least preliminarily and see what joe Missoula, see what the rest of this coaching staff i mean it sure hurts now that will hardy got the job with the jazz oh yeah that really hurts i'm assuming he would have i'm assuming he would have taken over his interim and maybe he would have even been udoka's replacement were the were a firing to occur and of course we don't know that that will be the case and so the idea basically being like if you if you had either had a coach in mind or you wanted to do a more wholesale thing but in part because the celtics were so successful last year holding course with the assistance seems like a reasonable course and like i think that at least to give it a chance the players seemed happier last year than they did previously and they're so important and i mean you're also getting into some key decisions over the next couple of years when it comes to Jalen Brown, who will be, you know, there's extension eligibility, but like he's going to have some decisions to make in the next 10 to 12 months. And then yeah. we're getting closer with Tatum and everything else. And so I understand, I, and especially because, well, you could, depending on if you, the, when, when the Celtics were informed and everything else, like that they, they didn't have that other like plan B of like, oh, we're going to bring in, I don't know like Mike D'Antoni or highly regarded assistant of other team X. Like not that they had to make that decision in training camp, but it is a lot harder if they were waiting for fact finding. It's a lot harder to make, to do that now, especially with how successful they were. Yeah. And I I wouldn't be shocked if they make some changes to the staff. I mean, Stevens, Stevens downplayed it pretty well, but I don't think he completely ruled it out, but definitely there's definitely been some rumblings that there's going to be somebody else brought in. And frankly, I think they absolutely have to be, um, they just need to have some sort of experience presence there because they just don't have much experience. Like Will Hardy and Ime Odoka were like their two most experienced front bench guys, and they're both gone. So they're gonna they're gonna need somebody else that has this just to. I mean. I think just just to advise Missoula on how to handle some of like the tight, the tight pressure points and stuff like that, how to balance out the season. I, I think that that's going to be pretty needed. But they still have Brad, and you know Brad Brad was I've never gotten a clear handle on how involved Brad was with the Udoka. I think I think Brad probably wasn't significantly involved, but definitely provided his feedback. Probably was like pretty similar to the way a GM and a coach would interacts. And so at least you know Missoula has that to lean on to a degree. And just as a stray note, um, it's been funny because I'm still in Europe. I've been following, kind of been following in some ways the reaction to this as much as the actual news. And there were a lot of people were pointing to the Genie Bus Phil Jackson situation. And one note that I will make is that obviously we don't know all the details of the circumstance. And, obvi- and we don't honestly know every detail of the Bus Jackson one either. Remember that this is a team decision. And in a weird way, the relationship being higher up on the corporate ladder makes it easier. Because 
because the person doing the evaluation of whether the relationship was okay is the person who was making the decision overall, who was in it. So, like, that, because, A, that means that the communication stuff is a lot more straightforward. And, B, it means that the evaluation is the same person. And so, now, so what I would say on that is that, obviously, there's a lot of context that we don't have and some that we will probably never have. But I don't consider that remotely an apples-to-apples comparison, even if the coach having a relationship with somebody else who is employed by the team, part of it is a parallel. For sure. I mean, I think, though, at the end of the day, it's like this team, this team knew that something was going on for a while and they had time to prepare for making this decision. And so I I did think it was a little strange that it took so time. It took so much time for them to release their decision because it's like I'd imagine that the investigation uh, as the investigation was going on, I assume that they were given some sort of indication of what was going on. They didn't have to wait two months to find out every single result. Um, at least, I assume, with Grosbeck and Cepat Luka, the two owners didn't have to wait that long until they got those results. They must have had some inclination, and they obviously knew a pretty decent degree of what was going on back then. So, the... I would imagine that this punishment was probably something that they were preparing for for a long time, and they didn't just come out of it out of nowhere, and they have a pretty clear plan of how they want this to play out. Right, and we will have to see. And and honestly, like I know there is interest, and some people find it fun to try to fill in the gaps on a story like this, especially with, and it happened while I was asleep in France, so it was like, I, I missed that part of it, but the, like, something's going on and then additional context. And the advice that I would give to people people in that, and I know this is less fun, and it's me being a little bit of a buzzkill, is try to let it play out. Don't don't think that you know everything that the Celtics know, and don't think the Celtics know everything either, because that's just the way these things work out, and it so often, like, there's an early stage thing, and, I, and I'm not saying, like, protect the shield, everybody, the, these entities make the right decision every time. We, know, we, we both know, and everybody else knows that's not true, but there is this element of, like, well, based on what I know, it's this, and it's like, like if you if you use that preface, then you understand the limitations of it. Sure, I mean, um, there, there's there's so many people uh, publicly that are convinced they know what happened, and I mean, from my reporting, I, I can definitely tell that some of that is completely wrong, and some of that is unconfirmed. And I mean, I, I'm talking to sources that are very plugged into the situation, people that have unique access to elements of the situation, and even they're not completely sure if the intel that they have is right. And I cross-referencing intel all over the place, and even with a lot of it checking out, it's still not it's still not enough for me to be confident. And that's why there's nothing there's not a lot of information out there. It's like it is really hard to know the exact story of what's going on. And also, I think the stories you know, what what actually took place is also going to be a matter of perspective in this situation because it involves multiple parties and their perspective on the experience and trying to determine what is fair and reasonable and and acceptable conduct is is kind of based on the perspective of each person. So there's this really tough thing of like, how do you determine what is uh, what is what is fair game conduct, I guess, and what is fair game uh, behavior and perspective and opinions, depending on where you're coming from. And then, of course, because Ime Odoka is someone who is of a great position of power within his organization, is it is, does him just trying to behave in a way that would generally be fair because of the power dynamic make it wrong? 
I think generally people lean towards yes, but then the question is how wrong is that? And that, that that's something that I've been talking to, like I've been talking to people that are experts in the HR field and the legal field and stuff like that. And there, it is even those people who work on this for a living and are experts on this and have doctorates on this issue. It is still there. There is absolutely no cut and dry to it. There is no there is no clear answer to how this should be handled. Absolutely, and I appreciate you conveying that nuance because it is so important to understanding this situation as it stands right now. Plenty more to talk about with Jared Weiss, but first a message from BetOnline.ag. Football is back, and BetOnline remains your number one source for all your football betting needs this season. You will always find the latest football odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests and live scores and giveaways all season long. It is always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events, whether that be Major League Baseball, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. So head to betonline.ag and use that CLNS50 promo code. And the reason why you do that is you get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Also tells them you came from us. So head to betonline.ag to join and use that CLNS50 promo code to receive your rewards at BetOnline, where the game starts. Let's go to the Robert Williams part of this, what was the original foundation <laughs> yeah. of, of me wanting to talk to you for this podcast. We both can appreciate how important he has been for the Celtics' success, including, I mean, the ridiculous splits with him on the court and off the court, not only in terms of just the stats, but like watching the Celtics' defense during those NBA Finals and just how much better they looked when he was out there. And I, over the years, have grown increasingly skeptical of the, oh, it's not going to get hurt worse idea, especially when it comes to lower body injuries. It's not necessarily the same thing as like, you know, I don't even know. Maybe with certain other things, it might not be there. Maybe that's because I have bad knees that I think about it this way. And lo and behold, not only did he need to have another procedure, but not it wasn't buried, it wasn't done deliberately, but just kind of below the below the headline, maybe in the subhead the subhead of the press conference is that he's gonna be out a lot longer than we thought. Mm-hmm twice as long yes um i mean twice as long makes it actually isn't the best way to put it i think that a lot of people thought he would be out for really a month and maybe a little bit more than that and now it's up to three months yeah and and, and so so yeah and and i like you brought up twice as long i think another way to think about it is two months longer that because like that that's that's the way i would think about it he's gonna be out for like almost half the season is what it is on a team that has two bigs with guaranteed contracts one of whom is six foot six and is ideally a four but can't play the five and that's grant williams um and so they're they're probably gonna have to make a move i I don't think they can get by with luke Cornette as their only seven footer in the rotation um I, I think they will try to, but I think eventually they might have to make a move. And then, of course, the problem there is that by the time you've determined whether or not you need to make a move, Rob is getting closer to returning. He might be back in two months. And so at that point, it's like, you know, do you need, need to make that move still? So who knows? And who knows when Rob comes back, are they confident he's healthy or are they worried more? And on that last point, I think that's what's so central to this is that there is a transition that happens. And there could be arguments about when this transition occurred for the Celtics in particular because they made that Eastern Conference Finals years ago with largely the same core, is you reach a point where May and June matter a lot more than December and November, but this injury could could have ripples that extend that far. 
So it, you're exactly right, and the Celtics have been very clearly saying this this whole time because every interview I've done with I, I've I've probably done a one-on-one with like half the roster or half the rotation at this point during the offseason, and everybody was saying the big thing for us is we need to get off to a good start and not figure it out halfway through the year because then we're going to burn ourselves out, and that's how they felt in the finals was that they had to they had to go so hard in the second half of the year they were playing a playoff rotation for the last last three months of the year they were the best team in the in the nba because of it but it it was sustainable up until basically the end of the buck series and then miami they if jimmy butler never got hurt i would i assume they're going to lose that miami series um but they were clearly burned out in the warrior series by game four um once they once they blew that fourth quarter in game four it was it was a wrap from there basically so they've been really really focused on having a really good start to the season and now they're stuck with an injured rob williams who was really it was really important that they had him out there because al horford is probably not going to play back-to-backs this year probably going to need to have low minutes he's probably going to play 25 minutes a game and they you know they could have rotated grant williams and gallinari so they at least like had some big man depth but now it's like grant williams is i presume he's going to start and he's probably gonna have to play like 34 or 35 minutes per game so that horford can stay in his minute restrictions so that he can sustain throughout the entire season. So, you know, what was interesting is Brad Stevens is a really big Luke Cornette fan. Uh, it, my favorite fact about Brad Stevens is that his only like on Twitter is someone tweeting out a clip saying, like, Luke Cornette is underrated uh, back in Amazing. August of this year. <laughs> it's the only thing he's liked on Twitter. So, you know, Brad always says, like, we really believe in Luke. And I'm like, oh, he's saying that. He's a GM. But no, apparently he does. I mean, the money talks and Luke's deal is barely guaranteed. So that's how much they believe in him but Ime Odoka was not playing Cornette when he really needed to play Cornette he he was just not doing it in the playoffs when Daniel Tice wasn't working it was clear it was clearly needed another big to get minutes and he wouldn't go to Cornette and maybe Missoula I mean well we know he has to play Cornette or whomever wins that competition for that backup big spot between Cornette Noah Vonley um Fanu Kamengele and I think Lucas Amanich is going to sign, but it's it ha- I don't believe it's actually officially happened yet, so I'm still waiting to find out that actually happens. But either way, it's like there's not great competition at that spot, and now it's a spot that's really, really important to this team. So they already feel like it was one thing for Joe Mazzulla to be working uphill. It's like now the whole team is working uphill to start the season. Right, and the context of last year, them kind of battling through everything and getting to that point, but then running out of gas, and also you could talk about how those series running long also made it harder because then they're, they're basically you didn't get the break between which some other teams, including the Warriors, did, and that's you know it's their own thing. You know, if you beat the other team faster, then you don't have to play as many games. But it is a challenge that they're going to have to navigate, and I, I mean, you don't generally see young teams with success play the long game in terms of the regular season and i mean you you even have some public comments from players and coaches that are are to the contrary of that but there is an element of it that i think would actually be really healthy for them where it's just like okay we're probably not going to get this the number one or the number two seed and that could lead to some harsher outcomes but honestly like one of the weirder things about the nba because they haven't done things like choosing your opponents or anything else is like there is no guarantee that the clearest path to the finals is any particular seed 
and it looks like the top of the East is going to be stronger this year than it was last year, and there are a bunch of different reasons for that. It will depend on health and everything else, but understanding that, you know, we're not going to be that team for at least a little while, but the problem is you still have to eat those innings. And you're even even if you're not going to give you know you're not going to play Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum 45 minutes a game because Robert Williams isn't there or maybe you give some of that to Grant Williams there isn't a clear solution so you end up in this weird point where you're overplaying guys not because you think you have to but because what the heck else are you going to do play Luke Cornett I guess I mean, <laughs> that's that's your only option or play. Grant Williams, 40 minutes a game. I mean, it works out great for Grant. I mean, the, the situation for Grant's so fascinating because, like, he already he already had a tough situation for his extension where he had a really good year last year that showed a lot of promise, and he kind of has to bet on himself if he wants to get a really good payday. And... I think the team obviously is going to be... The team doesn't have leverage like they did with Rob Williams. It's like with Rob Williams, they were able to underpay him because of his injury history. And because of his injury injury history, he was willing to take that deal. It's like Grant Williams has been healthy. He's been getting better. He's a leader within this team. I think he has like a lot of reason to bet on himself. Um, and now that they're going to have to give him so much opportunity to finally like put up numbers and be a real central figure on this team, if they don't get an extension done with him now, that number could really, really shoot up next offseason. So he's the person that uh, benefits from the whole situation more than anybody. And it puts a lot more pressure on the team that he's in such a prominent position to get minutes and have a big role in this team. Right. And I mean, Nate, Dan Feldman and I did the mock Ricky extension podcast about a week ago. And Grant Williams is the single most challenging negotiation because you don't know the walkaway points for either side. You know, like there's yeah. this there's this idea that you know the Grant Williams, you know, he is a very valuable role player, but he's a low usage guy, and generally speaking, low usage players don't really get paid at the point. I mean, even as successful as PJ Tucker has been, and Nate brought up this parallel, like it, it takes a lot, it takes a lot for those guys to get paid. And Grant Williams was incredibly efficient last year; he brought a lot defensively. But part of what you're doing as a general manager is you're calibrating based on what players like that have gotten before and what is the certainty, what is the risk that they become way better and and exceed that level. And with Grant, like it's you can do all you can go through all these directions, but the opportunity that is now presented to him because is is now significantly different. And like part of why I I found the Grant Williams negotiations so compelling is that there was this idea that he was going to be lined up for a starting spot in 23, but not in 22. And so was another team, like, was that external or internal leverage? Like, that he's going to, you know, that the Celtics and they can't really replace him and all this type of stuff. But now it's like, oh shit, he's starting now. <laughs> he's going to, yeah. or at least is going to have a major role for the first half of the season, can build up some of those counting stats, even though he's probably still going to be a low usage guy. And also that will give, both if they don't come to an extension both the celtics and any other potential suitors a lot more information exactly i mean that's that's why i think it just it all works in his favor is that at the end of the day teams are really going to get to see him in a way that they just haven't seen before and they get to see him as a starter or at least a core player where they get to find out like can this can we pay this guy a big salary and expect him to come in and really get get the job done so that's why it just it's just huge for him this whole situation do you have an inclination on an instinct on where that ends up 
like that it seems kind of if i had to if i had to guess and you can correct it i i think it's just too hard to agree to an extension in this situation i don't i i've never felt like it could get done because i just i didn't think the celtics would be willing to give a fair market offer for him at this point and i think he just has i just think he has he, he i already thought that he would do enough this year that he would be able to increase his value from wherever they were going to hardball um and then when you consider the cap raise that's coming in next year like the cap raise is only going to be 10 percent just because it's capped but it was uh, or it's uh the cap is capped on how much it could move right so it's like it could it could have even been more if it was based on true actual raw growth so but either way it's really hard it's i just don't often see an extension get done for a year ahead of time where it looks like they're actually baking in how much the cap is going to grow it never feels like the guy is getting overpaid based on today's number because it accounts for how much it's going to grow and so it, it just because of those factors and because of how much better he could be this upcoming season and he's going into his fourth year it's like guys grow really rapidly in those first couple of years that's why it's you don't often you don't see a lot of extensions get done uh for guys going to their fourth year unless they're already projecting to be a max or they have already grown so rapidly that the team is trying to pay them a little more than they need so that they can cut them off before they turn into a max player the next year so you know it's like like Tyrese Maxey what's going to happen there you know one of those kind of situations so I I don't see this deal getting done now unless the Celtics get super desperate and give them what they really want but even what they really plausibly want right now that might not be enough for what he really can get in six months or nine months, whatever it is. We've spent a lot of time so far on this podcast, justifiably so, talking about the front court. And the back court is where the, the Celtics made the big addition in Malcolm Brogdon. And like one of the things that you and I talked about back when they acquired Derek White was the question of like kind of how are all these pieces going to fit together, both in the immediate and in the long term. And like is is one of these new additions a replacement for somebody else, either like presently or eventually? And having a lot of good players who can play well, who are Valuable, especially offensively, can actually be really good. And especially for Brogdon, um, Caitlin Cooper talked about this pretty well, that like Brogdon was so limited on ball that he had to play kind of off ball defensively. And that's not a problem with the Celtics because they have so many guys that can do that. But there are still a lot that has to resolve. And you could argue, if you're thinking more of the short-term view rather than the long-term view, that clarifying some of the backcourt stuff, you could get some, if you were to move one of those players, if that was part of the end game here, you could move one of those players to help resolve some of the front court problems so i never i never before this injury situation got worse i didn't think that it made sense for them to move one of their three guards because i didn't see brogdon as an on-ball defender so it was smart and it was, it was basically that smart white and Jalen brown were your three good on-ball defenders of guards um and then brogdon was going to be more of a help guy uh and so it didn't make sense at that point now moving i think Derek white is the most movable guy in the group but i I've definitely heard people speculate smart. But I think Derek White's the most movable person, or the, the person you're most willing to move in that group, and obviously you're not going to move Brogdon. Uh, and so he's the one that you could try to get front court help for. It's just that I, I still think that White, Brogdon, and Smart all works together pretty nicely, actually, because White and, or just because all those guys are big enough that you can do a backcourt with those guys in your system still, still works really well on both ends. And so sacrificing one of those guys for a big that you're only going to, that you don't necessarily need later in the season when you're fully healthy I, I it's it's hard to fi- it's hard to think of a forward or center that they could use nearly as much as they could use all those guards those all those guards are going to get significant usage as they get deeper into 
the year and into the playoffs. So, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich was someone that was getting floated around a lot. I would generally, I think, rather have Derek White than Boyan Bogdanovich on this team. And then once you consider the age, it's like, I think that's kind of a no-brainer. Um, and that's and that's why it didn't get done. Also, um, I didn't think the Jazz got, got it seemed like they got a pretty bad deal for Boyan Bogdanovich. I don't know why they did well, that deal. You, <laughs> you, know what's, you know what's really funny? When that deal happened, because we had already been talking about doing a pod, I'm like, even though this deal does not involve the Boston Celtics at all, I want to talk to Jared Weiss about it because of the Kelly Olynyk angle. That it's like exactly. it feels like if Danny was still in charge of the Celtics, they would have done this deal too. I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, it's weird because like I, I like Kelly. Kelly's uh, Kelly is is a good player. Um, he's obviously not Boyan. Saban Lee is like he's an interesting player, but I don't think there's I don't think the upside on Saban Lee. I don't think Detroit really saw it going anywhere. So it's like, what did you do for your future by making this play? I, I don't get that one, but. Either way, apparently they would not have needed to give up Derek White to get Boyan Bogdanovich. So, well, um, if they had, yeah, I, if they had somehow acquired one of Ainge's favorites, and I mean, there sure. isn't there is an interesting thing. I, I believe there was a Troy Weaver trade that was like this. Um, well, and also actually the most obvious one in recent vintage is the Keon Johnson being the return for Robert Covington and Norman Powell. Where it's like, oh yeah, a lot of this is just the evaluation of the person who's getting the player. It's just like um, they think they're good, they think they fit in, and okay, like that's you know Danny Ainge betting on his board, betting on his evaluation is something that generally serves the Boston Celtics pretty well. This was a little bit of a bizarre one, but it also, like, I mean, the other indication to me is you never know what offers are on the table for anyone else unless it gets very substantively reported. But this seems to me like there wasn't, like, a real first-round pick on the table because that's a different decision. If you're choosing Olenek over a second, okay. Like that's a that you can you can yeah. make that, but if it's a Linux over like a, a real first, that's a different. It's a different choice. Yeah, I never understood the idea that someone who's making less than fifteen million dollars is that's that you're willing to like play real minutes to is less is less valuable than a second round pick even like the 32nd or 31st pick it's like second round picks turning into rotation players is just so inconsistent second round picks now that we have two-way deals second round picks even just getting a fully guaranteed multi-year deal is or just even a partially guaranteed multi-year deal is getting rare well so and, it's e- like, and even I, then so you have the factor of the contract they get but also like them living up to it i mean like the yeah it, and some of that is i am sure people could evaluate like different teams <clears throat> dallas have different success rates or failure rates in that range. But it's also like the success rate is pretty low in general. And like the, yeah. the Herb Joneses of the world are glorious, but they are also fairly rare. Yeah, there's two of them per draft. Right. And yeah, and it, it's real. It, sometimes it can be weird on, on, on whether they go in. Anything else like as we're heading – well, actually, there's one more thing I want to discuss, and that's okay. that's the Jalen Brown like kind of contract situation. I mean I think kind of structurally it made sense that nothing would happen this offseason because the idea that theoretically something more lucrative could be on the table, you're, you're committing, and like the, weird, the weirdness of not knowing with Cap. If you were Brad Stevens – I think you and I discussed this the last time we did a pod, just the two of us, when it wasn't with with Jared Dubin as well. How confident would you be that if you offered roughly the same money, or I mean, you can obviously offer more with bird rights, that Jalen Brown that Jalen Brown wants to sign his next contract with the Celtics? I think if they gave him, if the, I think if they gave him a full max with a trade kicker and whatever else, I think he would take it. Um, I, I think he would stay generally. I don't know how the KD trade discussions affected that. I don't think. I don't think it probably. 
I think that he's probably looking at this as it's no longer can we trade Jalen to get a really good player. It's like Kevin Durant came up and they had to they had to give a shot at that. I, I think that he he understands that otherwise they're not they're not trying to move him at this point unless it's a top unless it's a top ten player in the NBA. So a player that he can reasonably concede is better than him. Um, I know that he felt like trading him for Kevin Durant would have been a uh, would would have been the wrong call. I think he feels like at his age and the way he's going that he's going to be an elite player. That he's you know he's that he feels like he's already bordering on elite and he's going to be there very soon and that he's a better play. Um, and hey, I guess you can't say the Celtics didn't do the trade, so maybe they feel the same way to a certain degree. But I, I think that otherwise, all the other variables that would impact him wanting to stay, as far as the city of Boston, all these kind of things, I think those parts aren't the issue. I think he likes being here. He's established a really good foothold in the community. One thing that I thought, it wasn't shocking, but it definitely was not what I expected. But it makes sense when you think about how involved he is in the community and how he just how, how much he puts himself out there is when we did a poll on the athletic we had about a thousand people respond to it uh one of the big questions was who is your favorite celtic and jalen actually beat jason out in that one jalen was i think he got oh, like 26 really and a half percent of the vote yeah. i thought that was fascinating Good for him. and that was that was the big thing that, that really surprised people and it makes sense because jalen is a lot more accessible and he can be more personable and he's unique and he is very involved in the community and tatum doesn't really have much of a presence in the community um he kind of does his own thing so I think that the team definitely wants to keep Jalen because um, how how often are you going to get an all-star caliber wing? It's like he's I, I've had people tell me they don't think he's worth the max. I, I don't get that at all at his position, his decent in- injury record and his skill set. I feel like that's kind of an obvious max player. Um, even if he plateaus, I feel like he's already worth 38 million or whatever the starting number would be. If you're if you're getting to like that thir- that, uh, you know, the, that the next tier of like 10 year plus experience max you know that's that's where i'd start to question it a little bit but looking at the other guys that are getting maxes i feel like he's probably a clear choice for it i agree and the third contract is really where you start to see what a player prioritizes there's no right or wrong answer here unless they don't listen to themselves and i mean the celtics are as you said deep roots in the community they look to be a viable championship contender for a long time we don't know if any of those are going to be on the table in 2024 so i mean i i think that's going to be there but he also could be you know in some ways a victim and this doesn't necessarily hurt the celtics of the extension system being a little bit insufficient for non-All-NBA guys. Like, that could yeah. be a possibility here. And, I mean, maybe you run into a Zach Levine situation where Zach Levine, you know, got his money. He just didn't get to do it early, and he didn't really, you know, like, heavily consider anyone else. But, he, you know, the Bulls did have to wait that out, and I had been more open. And, I mean, the Celtics are miles better than the Bulls have been and, and everything else. So I, I don't think they need to be concerned. But it is it's risky in the sense that, players that good don't usually hit for agency and it could be anything so like i don't think this is a Kawhi raptor situation but it, you know it, it's not certain and i mean like i mean the not saying they're the same level players but like kevin durant in 16 was on a really really good team and he chose a different one which ended up being better like i don't think there's going to be a warriors making that pitch to jalen brown but it's always like these circumstances in the modern league happens so rarely that I do fixate on them a lot. Yeah, I mean, hey, if the Bucks come to Jalen and say, hey, you want to sign a Max, I'm sure he would be interested in that. But uh, I think that he... I think the big point is that he I don't get the impression that he would want to go to another team where he would be the best player 
and get away from the situation with Tatum. I, I don't I don't think that's what it doesn't seem to be that that doesn't seem to be his angle. I don't think it's something he needs. I think that as long as he's getting his money and he's getting his touches, I think he's sufficiently satisfied and it's about winning from there. Excellent. Anything else you think is an important part of the Celtics conversation? Uh, yeah, we did we could get into Missoula a little bit more, but we didn't really get into it's kind of the same thing really is we uh, how how is this team going to change its style to account for Rob Williams being out long term? Right. Rob is so central to how they operated last year, no pun intended. Uh, defensively, it's really tricky because, like, defensively, they I, I, I expect them to start Grant instead of starting the guards. I don't know, and it really like, it really works either way. But at least if you start Grant, you're not putting you're not telling Tatum or Brown you're the new pick and roll defender so that Horford can go around the baseline. You at least have Grant doing that. And Grant's a Grant's a good uh, pick and roll defender. So I I, I expect that they're going to start him, and Horford's going to be the center roaming the baseline. Everything that I have been told throughout the offseason is that while the offense is going to change a little bit, that the defense is going to stay pretty similar so that's why i assume grant williams is going to start um it it doesn't allow it doesn't allow them to fix one little issue that they had to figure out which was that you have two backup point guards or guards that both deserve to play 30 minutes a game can you get can you actually get those guys all those minutes that that still is an issue but you know if Derek white only plays 25 minutes a game it's not the end of the world um because i i still don't know how they work peyton pritchard into the rotation who is someone who most likely will play but maybe they're just going to go nine and a half, ten deep throughout the season. Maybe that's how it works, and that works for everybody. So either way, I, I think Grant will probably start. I think Horford will start, and then how they make their subs from there is really tricky because it seemed like how it was going to work was Rob Williams would come out halfway through the first quarter, Horford would stay on for a few more minutes as the center, and then Rob would come back in, and they would do the Williams, the Brothers Williams lineup from there. Uh, now they can't do that, and if they even want to do something like that, they're bringing Cornette in very quickly so uh, that's that's the big one where it's like i just don't know what missoula's appetite is going to be for getting cornet intimately involved in the rotation or if they're gonna go small with you know maybe they sub out grant early and they put horford they keep horford at the five until the nine minute mark then they bring grant back in and he plays the center and you keep tatum out there so there's at least length at the four and obviously gallinari's not there anymore so it's all you could do it that way um and maybe that's how they do it where it's they're giving maybe even they're having tatum play center in that lineup and he's the one roaming the baseline and grant is the one that's defending up on the pick and roll but I, 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 I mean, Jason Tatum has never really played pick and roll cut, like, like drop pick and roll coverage. And the team, like, I know they're, everyone thinks of them as a switching defense. They do switch a ton. They generally switch one through four, where they'll have, or they'll have a system where it's uh, drop coverage, where the four, who was often Al Horford or Grant Williams, they would do drop coverage on the pick and roll while Rob Williams would roam the baseline, or when Al was at the center, he would roam the baseline. So there's, it's not, a t- it's not as much switching as people think it actually is even though they do switch more than any other team in the league but either way this front court rotation with the way that it operated last year the minutes the way to do the minutes and stuff like that i don't know how it lines up without them giving luke Cornette a significant amount of time in the in uh in the game or they have jason tatum playing the four a lot uh either way like that's that's the biggest question i think that missoula has before even figuring out how is he going to change the way the offense works yeah, it's it's a lot to put on an interim coach's shoulders, but at least they have a lot of talent, even if it is kind of a little bit off balance right now. They are still very talented. That's, yes. You're completely right about that. 
Well, we can leave it there. I'm sure we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk about Joe Missoula once we have more of a resume to there to see to see what he can do. But thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, it's funny coming into this training camp. I didn't think we would be completely debating every single thing that was going to happen, but that is exactly what's happening. Hooray! Oh, I love basketball. Thanks again to Jared Weiss for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at The Athletic, and of course you can also follow him on Twitter at Jared Weiss NBA, J-A-R-E-D-W-E-I-S-S-N-B-A. Love having him on, and I didn't expect this to be as significant a time to have Jared on as it was in the preseason for a team that made the NBA Finals, but that's the way these things work out sometimes, and that's part of why watching, covering, all that with the NBA is consistently interesting and surprising. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe every episode, subscribe, download every episode in the podcast, wherever you're choosing, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever. Really do appreciate that. This is never going to come out on a specific day of the week. You can also help other people find the show by leaving a rating and review in the aforementioned podcast player or word of mouth, social media, wherever. Really do appreciate that. And even though Real GM Radio has been around so long, people are still finding it. And I appreciate that. And it's great. You can also check out my other work. Nate Duncan and I are going strong with Dunked On and Dunked On Prime. We're going to be doing our over-unders over the next few days. I'm not exactly sure what the release schedule is, but the recording schedule, from my perspective, is going to be very soon, so you can expect to see those soonish. And we'll be getting more into this this swing of things starting in about a week, but he's got a lot of great stuff with the experts for each team and that's been a lot of fun i've listened to a fair number of those myself while on this trip and you can also check out my written work at the athletic i have a couple pieces in draft form right now though not ready to go through editorial so they're not immediate but they should be coming out in the I don't know, the next reasonable little while as soon as i get my get my work together and who knows maybe you'll hear about other things in the future it seems distinctly possible if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. And I am not the greatest at replying, but I will, well, try. Like, that's that's not my promise, but that is something that I'd like to do. And I really do appreciate that feedback. It does make the show better. But that is enough rambling for now. So thank you so much for li- listening. Take care and make it a great day.